Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. The weekend, I was so saddened to hear the news. We have lost two of our great literary giants over the weekend, uh, Maura McEntee and the wonderful Brendan Kennelly. I'm not a huge fan of poetry, but I absolutely have adored the work of Brendan Kennelly. And whenever he'd appear on TV, you know, he'd be on some of the various talk shows. You'd be saying, oh, please let him say a poem, please let him say a poem. And he would just transport you and, and the lilt in his voice and it just it, and just so soothing. He was always like a sort of a warm, cuddly blanket around you. So I really was saddened to hear of Brendan's uh, death at the weekend. And President Michael De Higgins paying tribute to two of what he said of the most significant figures within Irish uh, lit- literature. Uh, speaking um, on radio, President Michael De Higgins described them as two great figures who will, were a loss to poetry. He said they were two extraordinarily important figures. The Irish language poet Maura McEntee, she died at home on Saturday. She, at the tender age of 99, considered one of the most important Irish language poets of her time. She was also the first woman to be called to the bar in Ireland. She was the first woman to make it into the Department of External Affairs uh, through public competition. And then poet and author Brendan Kennelly died yesterday at a nursing home in Listowel. Now seemingly he had been a resident of the nursing home for the last two years and he was 85 and when I realised he'd been in a nursing home for the last two years for the majority of those two years it would have been under Covid times so his family and his friends wouldn't have got to see him as much as they would have if he'd gone into the nursing home in normal times. He'd moved moved back to his native Bally Longford in North Kerry. That was in 2016. Of course, he had done decades in, in Trinity College in Dublin. He was the professor of modern literature. He was also a very popular broadcaster. He made frequent appearances on radio and on television. He published over 30 books of poetry as well as works of prose and received numerous awards. And President Michael D. Higgins praised Brendan Kennelly's commitment to sharing poetry and sharing his performance of it. And what would have to be my favourite poem from Brendan Kennelly is a poem simply entitled Begin and we couldn't let the day pass uh, without once again hearing the dulcet tones of Brendan Kennelly and Begin. To the caroling birds, to the sight of light at the window, begin to the roar of morning traffic all along Pembroke Road. Every beginning is a promise, born in light and dying in dark. 
determination and exaltation of springtime flowering the way to work. Begin to the pageant of queuing girls, to the arrogant loneliness of swans in the canal, to bridges linking the past and future to old friends passing though with us still. Begin to wonder at unknown faces, at crying birds in the sudden rain, at branches stark in the willing sunlight, at seagulls foraging for bread, at couples sharing a sunny secret, alone together while making good. Though we live in a world that dreams of ending, that always seems about to give in, something that will not acknowledge conclusion insists that we forever begin. So appropriate as well for the times in which we're living. That's the late uh, Brendan Kennelly. May he rest in peace along with the gentle soul of Maura MacAntee, two greats of Irish literature uh, gone. Now hospitals. Let's get back to what's happening in this country at the moment. Hospitals bracing for a spike in people being hospitalised with uh, COVID-19. And we know Neffet are meeting this afternoon to discuss the possible easing of restrictions or what's going to happen this Friday but increasing concerns at the number of people who are being hospitalised comes as the Cabinet. They will decide tomorrow on whether to proceed with the lifting of Covid curbs this Friday or will we leave everything as is. The Department of Health yesterday reporting a dramatic rise in the number of people being treated in hospital. There was a rise yesterday of over 50. We've gone up to, I think it's 459 up to yesterday. Our been treated in hospital once again there are fears that the health service is going to be overwhelmed if we get an upsurge in the pandemic and then it's because of the time of the year. Uh, We are in the winter ailments, the flu season is almost upon us this could not have happened at a worse time and a one well placed hospital service our health service source described the news of the extra 53 going into hospital uh, yesterday as a jolt. Now, in effort, as I say, they meet this afternoon and what will happen at that meeting is they, they'll make their formulation, they'll look at everything that's been happening over the last two weeks and, I suppose, try to predict where they expect the figures to go and what they expect is going to happen in certainly in hospitals they will give their advice and then it seems depending on timing there may even be a meeting of the cabinet covid subcommittee or at the very least the three leaders of the coalition will all sit down and meet to see what Neffert have to say today and then of course it's the entire cabinet are signing off on the final decision and that happens uh, tomorrow. Now seemingly according to some newspaper reports today there are already tensions between the medical experts of Neffet and the government over the extent and the timing of the easing of the restrictions next Friday. Now, some ministers were concerned at statements by some of the experts at the weekend, in particular statements that were made by Philip Nolan and by Ronan Glynn. Ronan Glynn was the one that came out of the weekend and said that people need to stay working at home. And he said over this autumn and this uh, winter. And of course, those comments clash with the current advice from the government, which is everybody returning to the uh, office, which people have been slowly doing since September. Now, Micheál Martin was out at the weekend at pains uh, to point out that the government is unlikely to strengthen the COVID-19 restrictions when it does make its decision tomorrow. Micheál Martin insisted that the worst outcome would be a pause on the relaxation of the, of the restrictions. But he said there's absolutely no political a- 
appetite for strengthening restrictions or going backwards. Anything that has already been opened, any restrictions that's already been removed, there is no talks of reimposing some of those restrictions. All politicians, he says, understand that the public simply would not tolerate this. The question is whether there will be a total pause or whether there will be a further easing of restrictions which will fall short of what had originally been planned for next uh, Friday. Uh, Stepped up health measures will likely include continuing, for example, with the use of the COVID vaccination certs if people want to go into pubs or restaurants or any kind of other public places. There also seemingly is going to be a publicity campaign to try to get the 370,000 people who are not fully vaccinated uh, yet. There's 300,000 who haven't come forward for a first jab and then there's 70,000 who got the first jab and for whatever reason decided not to go back for the for the second one. We have 90% of people vaccinated in this country so it looks like there's going to be a publicity campaign to try to get that less than 10% to become fully vaccinated. There's also going to be a renewed campaign to get people re-engaged with the basic precautions such as the hand cleaning, the mask wearing and the social uh, distancing. And definitely, and I know at last week we started getting calls in from people who certainly said they started to see and notice people leaving their guard down. You notice when you're going into shops there isn't always hand sanitizer available or if there is, it isn't as obvious as it used to be. There seems to be a slippage around the wearing of masks. People are saying that when they're in supermarkets or in business premises people aren't adhering to the two metre social distancing. You're in a queue for a checkout in a supermarket and somebody's almost on top of you. And if you're very nervous or if you're immune compromised that can make people feel Feel very, very uncomfortable indeed. So do we need to all re-engage and go back to the basics to try to suppress this uh, current wave? There's also, of course, going to be efforts to set up the distribution of a vaccine booster dose. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on NIAC. NIAC are the ones who make the decision around the, va- the vaccine booster. Again, there was talks at the weekend that NIAC may come out and start to say that the vaccine booster has to be given to anybody over the age of 60 and people over the age of of particularly those 60 to 69 they got the AstraZeneca and there's already evidence there that they of all of the vaccines will need a booster quicker than say somebody who got one of the mRNAs so we'll wait and see do, do Naya come out with something early in the week or will it be later on in the week but any move to pause the or limit the easing of the restrictions on Friday that is going to cause uproar in the entertainment and the catering sectors, nightclubs and music venues. They have been under major lockdown really since the very start of the pandemic in March of last year. And public organisations yesterday said no reason why restrictions in pubs couldn't be relaxed this uh, Friday. We're going to be talking in a couple of minutes with the Vintners Federation of Ireland. I know, for example, they want a return to bar counter service. They want an end to the table service that they currently have to do. And they also want an ending of the early uh, closing. And there's a shocking number of pubs 
have actually closed during the pandemic and we assume they are pubs that will never reopen. Thank you to a number of people who sent us WhatsApps in and we've just the, about a car crash that's happened at Leary's Cross at Castle Lines. Now the emergency services are at the scene but motorists are asked to please drive with uh, caution. Uh, one of our listeners reckons the road is actually blocked so I would avoid that area if at all possible. That's at Leary's Cross Castle Lines and hopefully everybody is okay. Okay. Now, Gardaí and Cork have launched an investigation after a man was seriously injured in a shooting incident in the city on Friday night. Mairead Tuig, our news reporter, joins me um, on this. Uh, good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. How and are you, you keeping? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. What do we know at this stage actually happened on Friday night? So what we know is this man was, as you said, there was seriously injured in his own home. So it happened at O'Mani Square in Blackpool where he was shot and injured in his home in Blackpool. And it happened, as you said, Friday night. So it was just on Friday into Saturday morning around midnight that this happened. Is a 25-year-old man. He was operated on in hospital afterwards. And his injuries, while they're serious, they're not considered to be life-threatening. Now, what we know is that the gunman fled the scene. Um, a burnt-out car was found then at Kilnap, which is on the old map. Road, but what are they doing now? They're investigating to see if this is connected to this incident to determine whether it could have been the getaway vehicles. They're working on that at the moment. Now, I contacted the Gardaí this morning. They've no further updates on this investigation. So no arrests have been made. Um, That was as of Saturday. So so with no update, we take it that no arrests have been made as of yet, but their investigation is ongoing. So obviously the house, the, you know, the burnt out car, they were cordoned off as crime scenes and a CCTV now from the area is being reviewed. Now, um, I suppose since that... On Saturday, a local independent councillor, Ken O'Flynn, spoke to National Station News Talk and he really, I suppose, he really criticised the Gardaí and he said that they needed a larger presence in the area, so the Blackpool area. He said, you know, the people, local people, they're in a state of shock, a state of devastation, as you can imagine, you know, I suppose a shooting incident in their local area. He said that he'd met a number of residents at 10 o'clock mass on Saturday morning outside Blackpool Church. And they're all talking about it. They're all really upset by it, as you as you can you know, appreciate they would be. Now, what Ken said, and as I said, he criticised the Gardaí. He said there's to be more boots on the ground and that more engagement with the community. And he said that Gardaí need to start listening to people on the ground and telling them and what's going on and what he said and this is to quote what Ken said to News Talk reaching these people out of our communities that are causing these sort of problems and these vendetta shootings and attacks now he also as I say criticised Gardaí he said that they've been very poor in their response to locals in the area regarding certain families that have moved in and he said that the escalation in the last number of months in violence and threats is unacceptable. He said he's had people ringing him in his constituency, telling him straight out that they're they're afraid to go out onto the street. They're afraid to open their doors and go out. And he said that that is something that's never, ever been the case in Blackpool. That's, that is shocking. Talking, and like people will know Blackpool yeah. well. I mean, it has a large retail yeah. footprint, but it's very much a residential area. And you would have families living in Blackpool who have been there for many, many generations. 
Absolutely, definitely. And as you say there, you know, I suppose when we're all heading to Mallow from the city, we go out and we see the big shopping centre. But when you go into the heart of Blackpool, as you said there, Trish, it's, it's a real residential area. It's a real, you know, close-knit community. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's a lovely spot. And as you say, you know, big, you know, footprint there for, for shops and things like that. But um, so, yeah, like he's he's looking for people now, locals in the area to, you know, anyone who saw anything, any witnesses to contact Mayfield Garda Station. I'll give you the number there. It's two one four double five eight five one zero so he you know he's pleading with people if you do if you did see anything to contact them but but he is he's really criticizing the the guardi in the area and he's saying that there needs to be more boots in the ground and he's with them to listen to those local residents yeah, about you know absolutely and, and nobody yeah nobody should be living in fear in their own house and afraid to walk out there outside their own front door and we know in last week's uh, budget there was the announcement of 800 additional Gardaí and the 400 uh, civilian uh, Garda staff maybe we some of those need to be deployed here in Cork and particularly to areas like Blackpool if we have an escalation of violence absolutely Okay. Absolutely. And speaking of those extra guardy, Trish, uh, just even a, another suburb of Cork City and Cardline. I know that independent councillor, Ben Dalton O'Sullivan, he's also looking for, for some of those resources to, to be sent to Cardline. So definitely part, lots of places in Cork looking for, for their share in those guardy resources. OK. All right. Listen, Marie, thank you for that. I know you're on news today, so we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Trish. Good Thank morning you. to you. That is Mairead uh, Tuig, our news uh, reporter on that. was just a dreadful uh, situation of a shooting in Blackpool and your heart would go out to any of the neighbours. Imagine to be, you know, in your home and to hear the sound of gunshot. Just shocking. The Rural Independent Group of TDs have said that a lack of investment in rural roads is putting lives at risk and they're calling for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to stand up to the Green Party in government who are against the building of new roads. Deputy Michael Collins from West Cork is, of course, part of the Rural Independent uh, Group. And Michael joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Michael, do you lay all the blame for the condition of rural roads at the door of the Green Party? Well, it certainly is on the, on the door of, 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 the, of the government, uh, the present government of the day. And now, with the allocation last week's budget of £561 million, um for the 2022 budget, basically, for the, the rural roads, it's down £23 million from the 2021 budget. And I was looking at, you know, uh, statistics there, analysis there recently, uh, I suppose in 2019, uh, the Department of Transport's own analysis under the strategic um, framework for investment, they said to keep uh, our national and regional roads up to any state, a proper standard, they need 630 million. And if that's the case, we're down 70 million uh, in this year's budget. And that's going to have a massive impact on our development of our rural roads, uh, Patricia, which I will add, are in a desperate state already in many, many places in, in, in South West Cork. And what it's going to do is leave local authorities starved of funding. And, and you know, I, this is Green Party policy because the Damon Ryan's department, he has made a decision to cut the, um, to cut the budget to the to the rural roads. Um, and and motors paying massive motor tax, paying massive car insurance, massive fuel cost, uh, carbon tax, uh, down on top of people. And to the list monies we're getting back instead of more money for rural roads. And it's all well and good if you live in a city or in an urban area where you've got buses and trains and uh, trams. But for people living in rural Ireland, and and I often say it, a car is not a luxury. A car is a necessity. A car is a necessity. And, 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 you know, people, as I said, are paying huge costs and, you know, understandably quite willing because they live in rural Ireland. They love where they live. But they need 
you know, a proper road, and, and, and my officers continuously, and I presume other politicians are in the same way, are inundated with people uh, pleading with me to, you know, from our groom uh, in Castle Dunbar down to Inishannon um, to, to get the roads, uh, the roads are in appalling conditions, side roads, and, so, you know, we'll say more rural roads are in appalling conditions, and I travel myself, I was travelling during the weekend to places in Ross Carvey, back roads and places like that, they were appalling in some cases, absolutely appalling to, to travel in them, and to think, no, then we can go to the local authority and fight the corner for that community to see now that their budget is cut by 23 million. The local authority are going to turn it back on us, saying, if you're not going to get it from government, we can't spin it on the, on the local roads. And well, their, the their hands are, the local, in fairness to the local authority in Cork County Council, their hands are tied. They can only spend what they get. Absolutely, and that's, that's what they'll tell us. It is a fair, it is a, 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 true, a true fact. You see, local, we'll say local are rural roads, they carry 54% of the traffic in this country. But it's certainly well underfunded, and and it doesn't you know, get fifty four percent of the funding. No, but you see, the, the local there's fifty four percent of the traffic on those roads. Yeah, um, so they're not getting you know their fair share back. We've had years, though, of underinvestment in in rural roads, uh, Michael. Realistically, would it therefore take years and countless millions, if not billions, of euro to get our roads some way sorted out? Well, I suppose the recent, you know, the Aero report there from the Cork County Council some t- uh, time back, which to me is gathering dust now, because uh, I, I, the government want to ignore its very existence and the Taoiseach promised to look at it, and I've heard nothing back from him. Uh, did he ever look at it, or does he, is he interested? He commissioned an independent report at the time for Minute to draw up uh, a report as to what the roads were, in, in, and we, our roads, as I said, in the Cork County should be the same as every other county, should be strengthened every 20 years, but it's now only strengthened every 52 years. So we're, we're over 30 years behind in our roads, um, in the conditions of our roads in Cork County alone. So, I mean, the problem is, it's, it's great to see these reports, and, 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 and these are factual reports, but we are, we're, we're falling miles behind. And when I raised the issue recently when Minister Ryan one-to-one in the dawn, and can be seen on my Facebook, in relation to the Bandon uh, Southern Relief Road, the Northern uh, Southern, the finishing of the completion of the Southern Relief Road, the Northern Relief Road, the Inishannon Bypass, the Banshee Bypass, and Passing Basin, the N71 R585, what he told me about the, the, the bypasses, you're talking about 8 to 13 years. It's not going to happen. And what we're getting instead is these false promises. Oh, there's a report and there's a little this and there's a little and there's a little sprinkle of money thrown to these things. But nothing's happening on the ground. And that's and, and I know an astonishing dur- situation. During the summer with, you know, more people t- doing a staycation, people were holidaying in Ireland rather than, than going abroad. We got so many calls in, Michael, from listeners who were saying that when they travelled to you know, to Clare, to Galway, to Mayo, to Donegal, wherever they went, they were all talking about the conditions of the roads and how much better they were than here here in Cork. I mean, yeah, I, I, we are I, the I, poor I, relation when it comes to roads. We are, and I, I often get a lot of stick from people that do a lot of that travelling. They come back to me and say, what's wrong? Why can't we get it right? Why are other counties getting it right? But unfortunately, the funding has been starved of Cork County. And it continues to be starved in Cork County, and this will be a further kick in the teeth. Instead of we, we catching up, uh, seeing as we're 32 years uh, behind, according to an independent report, is further behind, we're going to fall. And and the roads that other counties might have brought up to some kind of standard, we haven't been brought up to that standard, and we're facing a, a dire situation in our roads in, in County Cork. And I'm very, very worried. And I I mean, definitely, it's a big issue for us. It's going to be raised in the all, raised in the is one thing getting uh, a Green Party that's wagging the tail of the government to change its mindset 
on what's happening and the reality of, as to what's happening on the ground is a huge, huge problem today. Now, we did succeed over the, I think, over the weekend about this PSO travel, you know, for student travel, um, um, you know, we raised that issue on th- uh, Wednesday. For the, getting the 50% yeah, off. Where, yeah. yeah, 50% off. That was only going to suit uh, those who were travelling in the loose in the dark in Dublin, but uh, it wasn't going to uh, suit any young people that were travelling, uh, we'll say, in, in rural roads where they were outside the PSO route, which is mainly around West Cork. Now, that's, I think, changing, but it hasn't been fully changed, but the pressure we put on them has changed. But there's no thought about what's happening in rural Ireland and what's happening outside the PSO. Okay. And Tim is making the point where you're talking about condition of roads the wet weather now is suddenly upon us that's going to make the roads uh, even worse and just Michael if if where would you start if you had access to the purse strings today when it comes to our Cork road network First and foremost uh, Patricia DN71 and mm-hmm. the R585 they're, they're the main uh, routes into West Cork we want to open up Cork and keep it a good competitive place for business not have people coming to Inishan and, by, and can't bypass Inishan and can't bypass Bend and can't bypass Bantry these towns and, and also I've always called for which is very simplistic money to be spent on, on pressing bays on the N71 the R585 you can be caught behind uh, a lorry or a tractor from all the way from Skibreen to, to, to Clannacilty if you're unlucky enough yeah, there's no passing yeah, bit yeah. and people want people don't want to be speeding and it's very they're frustrating putting lives, they're putting savage lives at risk yeah. okay. and, and they continue to do that and that's okay. where the first of the money should be spent and before before I let you go because I heard you talk about this at the back end of last week you're calling for a statue of Michael Collins not yourself the other Michael Collins no. to be erected in Dublin in advance of the his 100th, 100th anniversary of his death is next year yeah, and in fairness, I look. I didn't. I probably stole a march here because we're having a meeting. Uh, Tim Crowley and 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 a group in the in the clan, Michael Collins uh, Centre and Timothy Road uh, had brought up this issue to us. And there's a meeting next week in relation to the seeking. Uh, I suppose all Aractus members' approvals and support to try and get a, a statue to Michael Collins. No, the reason I brought it up a little earlier, that Minister Noonan was before me, Malcolm Noonan, last week. He's in charge. That he was talking about funding for statues and sculptures, and I felt it was a good opportunity to speak with. Where would you? Where would you put it? Where would you maybe, like to see it? Maybe St. Stephen's Greens, but yeah, I certainly won't. Yeah. I'll be talking to Tim next week, and because he's a he's he studied history, studied Michael Collins, he studied, yeah, but this is not political. This is this is just an honour of a great uh, man uh, in our country. And, and to I mark the one hundredth anniversary of of his death, anniversary. Yeah, yeah. We, we have okay. to do something. We Wherever, can't just stand idly by. And, keep and this is an ideal opportunity. We see this, what it's done in, in Clonakilty. That fabulous uh, statue that was built in Clonakilty was absolutely incredible to see that. And I think the similar should be done in Dublin uh, to, to honour. Uh, Amanda, done so much for his country. Okay, keep us informed on that. Thanks a million, Michael. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Rural Independent uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Collins. Councillor Declan Hurley says on the discussion on roads, the government are promoting and investing in active travel. As a county with 12,000 kilometres of road, active travel can't be implemented. Active travel is only for suburbs of large towns and cities. Cork County alone would needs half a million just to repair our roads. So yes, the larger national projects should pause to invest in our rural roads. Here, here. And that's from Councillor Declan Hurley. Thank you for that, uh, Declan, to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. With Neffet due to meet today to advise the government on the path ahead, the question on everybody's mind, will the final restrictions be lifted this coming Friday? 
one group who are anxiously waiting the announcement. The Vintners Federation of Ireland is joining me, the Cork Chair, Michael O'Donovan. Uh, good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. I suppose if full easing of restrictions were to go ahead as was originally planned, what would that mean to the licensed trade? Look, if, the, if, if we were to proceed according to the plan that was in place next Friday, uh, table service would no longer be required. People would be able to come to the bar counter, get their drinks, and people could stand and move around in the bar, uh, I suppose, pre, as, as it was pre, prior to the pandemic. And what about this notion of leaving the COVID passes in place? How, how would you feel about that? Yeah, look, if, if, look, I suppose with over 92% of the population over 18 vaccinated, you know, we have to start seeing, I suppose, uh, some kind of a bonus for that level of vaccination. So as hard as it is, you know, for places to inspect people's passes on entering the bar, it's something we would be prepared to keep doing if vaccinated people were only allowed to enter the premises that we could start using our bar counter for service and people being able to, you know, I suppose, increase capacity in their premises. Are you worried about the rise in figures? Of course we are. You know, public health is paramount for everybody. Um, but look, what we do know is, you know, it, it's it's spreading, I suppose, among unvaccinated people more than vaccinated people. So, you know, people have to take uh, responsibility themselves if they have symptoms to stay at home and not be in social environments. So, you know, like, we've been inspecting people's passes since we opened in June for those that were outdoors and in July for those indoors. So, you know, it's it's been, a, I suppose, a safety net that we've had because um, we've seen from the figures, um, I think that there's a very low spread in social environments. And the closing time at half 11, is is, is that having a big effect on, on some bars? Oh, it, it is, especially for smaller bars, you know, um, you know, we're so limited. Like, I'm operating at a third of my capacity and costs are rising. Like, even this week, I, this morning, I've got my energy bill and, you know, it's gone up a third um, yeah. on, on last month. Like, I, I'll be getting my heating bill probably in next week and no doubt that'll be gone up as well. Um, costs are rising and yet our turnover figure, you know, just can't generate the turnover to meet our costs at the moment. Not with, with only a third capacity inside in the bar. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, look, it's the, the facts of it. And look, we, we've seen last week with the renewal of licenses here in Cork, 37 premises have decided not to renew their license. Um, you know, it's a growing problem. And if restrictions, I suppose, if we don't see some improvements on them, there'll be a lot of bars, I think, sitting down next week and making a decision. Uh, you know, myself included, it might be cheaper to close um, our doors, unfortunately, because we lose less money with the doors closed than, we're, than we will with the doors open. Would you actually consider closing, Michael? Yeah, it's a reality now, I'm afraid, you know, with the rising costs. Um, and, like, I know we have the supports of the EWSS, the rates are written off, but uh, we, we just can't generate enough turnover with the way things are at the moment uh, to, pay, to pay the bills, to be honest. And has a lot of preparation already gone into a full reopening next Friday the 22nd, as was planned? Yeah, look, I can say look, here in the city it's well known that the Jazz Festival is on this weekend. But even around the county, you know, a lot of people have plans to uh, to go away for the weekend. So places would have ordered in a lot more stock. Staff would be rostered for longer hours. So, you know, it, it's very unfair now to take staff on a Tuesday evening. Look, you can't work those hours. You know, we're going to have to pay the staff now because they're on the roster. So, you know, it, it's extra costs are all incurred. 
we'll be sitting on stock you now for a number of weeks or returning stock if um, if it's not uh, if it's not some way given hours or our people you know to come into our premises uh, if there's not some changes to it. Yeah, I heard of people in the nightclub uh, industry who were all set for for next Friday. Uh, they've actually taken some of their staff off the pub payment, and of course, if they have to go back on, they, the pub is now closed. So it is; it's, it's closed, and like they'll be um, having to stay on the books of the of the premises with no income coming in. So it's just look; it's an horrendous position to be in this week, um, and we know public health is of paramount importance, but you know. This meeting should have been last week, you know, to give some bit of guidance to places or uh, they should have been giving us some indication last week that things mightn't be progressing. You know, we've only heard snippets, you know, coming out in leaks. It's, uh, it's really tough to deal with. Yeah, the communication has been really bad. And, and we're, you've another day because we have to wait for the... We may get leaks about what Neffert are thinking today, but it's going to be tomorrow before there's a full cabinet meeting. So realistically... It's probably some stage tomorrow afternoon before you get any indication of what the government are thinking. Yeah, there's a press conference, I think, scheduled for tomorrow afternoon. So it'll be probably at that press conference we'll find out. And look, the, like, you know, the jazz launch is Friday evening. That's only like three days later. So like it's, it's not a lot of time at that stage. The only thing that can be saved is those doing food, getting personal goods will be able to adjust their orders. But uh, most of the deliveries will be in by that stage. And since you have been reopened uh, since the summer, is there still a bit of nervousness by some customers when they come indoors or is that gone, do you think? No, it's very much so. Look, this week uh, we've seen, you know, since Wednesday, especially since talk of the numbers rising, you know, uh, people coming on the media saying, you know, that it's not to go into social settings. We've seen a huge drop, especially in the older clientele. Um, I'd have a, a big older clientele from half four to seven. We haven't seen them since Wednesday. Uh, they, they're they're just frightened to come out again. And, you know, these are the, I suppose, the impacts that uh, these statements that people come out and make um, on on national uh, news or papers, uh, it has a real-life impact on these people. They're, they're, they're basically gone cocooning again because they're just afraid. Um, and this weekend we saw a huge drop-off in numbers uh, across the city and county uh, with people going out. Okay, all right. We wait, as you say, press conference. At, uh, have we a time on that press conference tomorrow? Do you know, Michael? No, we did. it'll be after the, the cabinet meeting. So okay. it depends on how long the cabinet long meeting the cabinet lasts. Meeting yeah. will go on. We just know okay. it's tomorrow afternoon, um, right. but we don't know a time yet. Okay, we'll check back in with you, Michael. In the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Bye bye, bye bye. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan. You can hear it in his voice, isn't it? How down uh, he is. He is chair, Cork chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. On the way in the next hour, we hear how the Minister for Disabilities is calling out other government departments for not giving deaf children and adults their entitlements. And more afternoons at 11. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Just let me go back to uh, when I started the programme in the last hour when I mentioned the deaths of and how we'd lost two literary giants over the weekend with Maura McEntee and uh, Brendan Kennelly. And uh, I got John Paul to dig out Brendan Kennelly reciting what was one of my favourite Brendan Kennelly's poems and that's the poem called Begin. And, and I played it out. A number of listeners were saying, like me, they were, you know, uh, deeply saddened to hear the news of Brendan Kennelly and lots of people saying, yeah, that they were, you know, they loved uh, his poetry and loved to see him whenever he appeared on TV and that gorgeous Kerry lilt that he had and when he used to recite his own poetry it was just something truly magical and and really really special but Burr in Cork City has reminded me of something that I had completely forgotten about and she said that that Brendan Kennelly was actually on the Late Late Show the night that Gay Byrne rang a viewer to give away a car only to discover that the lady, a lady by the name of uh, Rita, had just lost her daughter. Her daughter had been killed in a car accident the day before. And you remember, if you remember back, it was actually, I had to check, it was actually back in 1997 that it happened. People used to send postcards into the late late. There'd be a competition on and you'd have all the clues one week and you'd send off your postcard and there'd be this huge, big, almost like a plastic skip full of postcards and Gay Byrne would dig deep and he'd pull out one postcard and one postcard only and then he'd ring the person and the person had to be at home and I think they had to answer a question if my memory serves me right and lo and behold on this particular night in 1997 he dug out one postcard rang the phone number and it was a lady I'm sure she was in I should that I'm open to correction but I'm sure that lady was in Cork as well she was a lady by the name of Rita and Gay Byrne started chatting to her and she sounded a bit down and Gay Byrne was surprised because obviously You'd be all excited with Gay Byrne ringing you to tell you'd won a car. And then, of course, for the woman to say that her daughter had died the night before. And then, of course, the chat ensued and it seemed she'd been killed in a car accident. But the sting in the tail was that the mother said that her daughter had actually the post had actually posted the postcard in for Rita and it was one of the last things she did before she died so Rita decided to play on for the car and ended up uh, winning uh, winning the car and and you know the everyone it was one of those moments that you watched TV and you held your breath you couldn't believe what was unfolding in front of you on live uh, TV and the whole nation you know was thinking about poor Rita and her daughter and the great loss that she was going through and then suddenly you know a little bit of light in that it was almost like the daughter was sending the car down from heaven to her lo and behold Brendan Kennelly was actually on the panel that night so and of course the competition would always have been at the end of the TV programme so Gay Byrne would have you know wrapped it up with Rita and then turned to his panellists. One turned out to be a nun who went on to offer words of comfort to uh, Rita. But then Brendan Kennelly was sitting there and Gay Byrne asked him, could he provide some words to console uh, Rita? And he recited that poem that I played today, Begin. And of course, it's that final line, really, of the poem that is so poignant to the fact that, you know, he now is no longer with us. And, and it, it reads, Though we live in a world that dreams of ending, that always seems about to give in, something that will not acknowledge conclusion insists that we forever begin. And he literally from memory was able to recite that uh, poem. And thank you to Burr in Cork City for reminding me of that because I'd seen him so many times on The Late Late but you're absolutely right when I jogged to my memory and uh, dug that out. Uh, I saw, yeah, it was Brendan Kennelly was there. So thank you for that. Another reason to remember the late great Brendan Kennelly uh, today. 1850-333-103 on where we're going on um, 
lifting of restrictions on October the 22nd next Friday will it happen or not John says Patricia I can't see nightclubs uh, reopening John is one of those people got vaccinated earlier on in the year he's just tested uh, positive oh, hopefully you'll make a speedy recovery John and the only thing is take comfort from the fact that you have been uh, vaccinated and I saw there was a gentleman on the paper talking about ended up in ICU young man in his, in his 40s had been vaccinated unfortunately got uh, COVID he had some underlying health conditions but he said without a shadow of a doubt the doctors and the consultants at the hospital uh, said to him he wouldn't be alive today had he not been va- vaccinated he still became unwell but uh, luckily the, the vaccine gave him enough protection to be able to fight it and, and he's okay now so we wish you uh, good health uh, John um, but John reckons that the nightclubs shouldn't open but the problem with the nightclubs I suppose it's slightly different to the interview that we did in the last hour with Michael O'Donovan on the Vintners I mean the Vintners want the easing of the restrictions they're saying they can't keep going the way they're going if they're not going to be allowed to have people sit up at the bar if they have to insist on having the table as service if the opening hours remain at the early closing they're literally it's just not financially viable for many of the pubs to remain open so they at least want those restrictions lifted but listening to Michael from the Vintners Federation they're happy to go along with the COVID uh, certs because the COVID certs are due to be gone on Friday as well. But then when you look at nightclubs, it's a completely different ball game we're talking about here. And I saw a piece in the paper from broadcaster and musician Tom Dunn. He's hopeful that the government will ease some of the restrictions on the entertainment uh, industry because he reckons that the sector now has reached a, a breaking point. He is a member of the band uh, Something Happens and he's saying that the music and the entertainment industry, now this will be very much tied in with the nightclubs and venues that have late night gigs where bands play etc. He said they will go and I quote Tom Dunn do lally uh, if there are further setbacks to them getting back on track and next weekend he said people are trying to dig themselves out of a hole and the only way they're going to do that if, they're, if they can be allowed to go ahead with live gigs and he said if there is even the slightest hint that that doesn't happen he said it will be beyond breaking point and then he was asked whether he would support the use of antigen testing before gigs to allow venues to extend to the 100% because that's part of the lifting of the restrictions on Friday. Venues would, you know, they're curtailed at the moment. I mean, Michael O'Donovan was saying in his bar they can only have a third capacity. From Friday, the plan was you can have 100% back to the way you were uh, before the pandemic. So Tom Dunn was said, well, what about using an antigen tests? And he said, absolutely. If it would allow the sector to get back on track, he said he doesn't have a problem. He said the antigen testing seems to be a thing that the rest of the world have embraced but Ireland hasn't for whatever reason and I yet again heard of the weekend Professor Luke O'Neill who has been uh, on and on and on about antigen uh, testing uh, for quite some time he he again cannot understand why we're not using antigen uh, tests and the rest of the world are doing it and they're doing it very successfully and I just don't know what it is it seems to be NEFIT and then obviously their recommendation to the government we need NEFIT to recommend yes antigen testing is the way to go and another listener says Patricia with Covid cases rising in hospitals it can't do any harm to introduce the lateral flow testing kits the antigen tests these should be made available to every single household, allowing anybody planning to visit a con- 
confined space or anyone who's displaying symptoms, they'll be able to check themselves at home before putting others at risk. If the results are positive, they then isolate and immediately arrange to have the full PCR test done to confirm a more accurate diagnosis. And I heard Luke O'Neill make the suggestion that what they should do is introduce antigen testing, give every household 10 antigen tests. It's the way they do it in the UK. So everyone is given antigen tests. You have them at home. If you're feeling a little bit unwell, just double check to see, do I need to go for a PCR test? But also, as that listener said, if you were about to go somewhere, you were about to go to a gig or you were about to go to a wedding or you were about to go to a nightclub, to make doubly sure that you are okay, you do the antigen test and once that's negative, you'd say, OK, it gives you a bit of peace of mind and, and off you go. And, you know, it's just another tool in the arsenal. Surely it can help in uh, some uh, way. Thank you for your text. And then Dan says, Patricia, we cannot allow a minority to endanger the minority being the unvaccinated, to endanger all the superb efforts that's going on in hospitals and by the people of Ireland in general. I suggest that the COVID certs become a must to be allowed to enter any type of premises. To assist bar owners then to enforce this, a rule could be easily introduced that a bar found with a non-compliant person present would lose their licence for a period of time and that would come in from immediate effect. And uh, enforcement, a number of people are saying that, that if you are going to keep with the COVID certificates, then we need to do enforcements because John Paul, I know, says he's inundated and with people naming bars and I'm getting texts in pretty much the same thing from every part of the city and county. I have to say it isn't just one particular area of people saying I was in a bar at the weekend. There was lots of people walking around. Nobody was wearing masks. Somebody else was saying there was um, young people serving food. None of them were wearing masks. There was no talk of COVID certs in the pub that I went into at the weekend. So it looks like some are very much sticking with it and checking people's certs and making sure that people are sitting down and only doing table service and not allowing anyone at the bar. And then others seem to be flaunting it uh, slightly. So some people are saying if you want to stick with the COVID certs, then enforcement is going to be an issue. And do we, do, what, um, what are we saying in enforcement? Are we saying that the Gardaí should be going in and out of premises? And if that be the case, we've only earlier spoke with Mairead uh, Tuig, our news reporter, you know, talking about that shooting in Blackpool and local elected representatives there saying we need more Gardaí on the beach to stop with antisocial behaviour. If we've all of our Gardaí tied up or going into pubs and nightclubs to make sure everyone has covert uh, certificates, you know, we just don't have enough Gardaí uh, to do that. So I don't know what the solution there is, but you are right about the enforcement. Certainly, anecdotally, we're hearing from a lot of people saying that not all bars are strictly sticking to to the rules as they are at the moment. 1850, and could that be attributing to the reason why we're getting so many more uh, cases? 1850-333-103. John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. Longerville House Hotel in Mallow. They're looking for experienced restaurant waiting staff and they're also looking for a part-time housekeeper. You email info at longevillehouse.ie Woodland Paint and Signage they're based in Little Island they're looking for a signage painter and an installer for immediate start email dave at woodlandprint.com a deli assistant is wanted for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow uh, CVs please to exexchef 
at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And carpenters are required for projects throughout Cork City. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Minister for Disabilities, Anne Rabbit, has hit out at a number of government departments for denying deaf children and adults their entitlements, claiming they should know better. Reacting to the Minister's words, is Andrew Geary, dad of Callum, who's been campaigning for some time for a classroom interpreter. And Andrew Geary from Ballyhooley uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Do you take comfort from the Minister's words, calling out other government departments for their misgivings? Yes, and I think that's a huge step forward for for children like Callum and for deaf people to access public services across the whole rainbow of public services and in fairness to that lady she gave a brilliant summing up in the doll last week it was heartfelt it was honest and and it was a lot of hard work on, on her on her behalf and it really was a charge for the battery when it was vitally needed by us, Patricia. And But we now need um, action and everything that she said, and, and I, I heard her piece uh, last week, everything she said is spot on, but I suppose we need to explain to people, under the Irish Sign Language Act, which was established, I think, in 2017, um, this, yeah. ju- just explain, what are deaf people entitled to under that Act? So the, the Act, there was a three years given, Patricia, from the 20 20- 23rd of December 2017 till the 24th of December 2020, every public service department was given those three years to get ready to implement the Act. So it didn't just come in overnight. Every government department was given a full three years and we've had an extra 10 months on top of that now. So we've had nearly four years for them to prepare. What that would mean is someone going into the, into hospital that a family member doesn't have to interpret if there's a life-changing moment happening inside in the hospital. If someone is the victim of a crime, that's again, that they wouldn't have to be relying on a family member or someone that has a bit of sign. A fully qualified interpreter would have to be brought in. Similarly, going to the doctor or a child such as my own son in a classroom setting in an educational context would have a fully qualified interpreter from the Register of Irish Sign Language Interpreters, which has been established by the government as part of that act. It would extend, I suppose, if they were going in seeking advice from the Citizens Information Board. Again, that the interpreters have to be paid for by the state, that the responsibility is now the states for our 5,000 Irish Sign Language users that no longer can the state say, listen, you're getting some reasonable access. It has to be full. The same as Irish and English, it's the third language of our state now. And it's recognised for... A deaf person who uh, whose only language is sign, it's recognised as their language. It's as recognised as Romanian, Polish, Italian, any other language. It's a language. And even more so because it's a recognised language of our state. So it even it even goes above. It's at the same level now as Irish and English in on the island of our in the in the Republic of Ireland. So, yes, we will always provide interpretation for uh, international people on the island of Ireland. But again, sometimes it's who's going to pay that bill. Whereas there's no doubt now when it comes to sign language users that it has to be a registered Irish sign language interpreter. It's like we've been very lucky 
in uh, the court here. They've had a number of tragedies in Scandinavia and the UK with deaf people wrongly convicted of crime. There was a number of incidents in recent years that are under investigation in hospitals here where deaf people were basically left sitting inside in a bed with no access to interpreters, whereas now they're breaking the law. Section 6 of the Air Sign Language Act they would be breaking the law if that fully qualified interpreter is brought in, or they're also breaking the law if they bring in a person they think is an interpreter. You know, I can sign, no one can ever bring me in as an interpreter because I'm not, You're on not that qualified. Register. Do we have right. enough sign language interpreters in this we country? Could do with, we could do with more, yeah. but demand creates yeah. the need. Yeah. And, and when that demand is there, there is the Centre for Deaf Studies. 20 graduates go in there every year in Trinity College, Dublin. The course is so tough, only four to six generally graduate with the full Irish Sign Language interpreting or teaching Irish Sign Language degree. It's a really, it's a very, very high standard, as I've said to you before, Patricia. So perhaps we need to look at, as a country, uh, providing more places. Maybe we need to put 40 or 60 people in to make sure we get 20 out every four years. The others come out with degrees in deaf studies and they typically go off into other professions where they have enhanced uh, ability and access to deaf people, but they won't have the degree in Irish Sign Language interpreting. Uh, that. And you've seen them at work with NEFIT. And I think like everybody everybody has and everybody recognises and you know kudos to to Neffet and to the HSE uh, we, like we never had any of those press conferences without the sign language interpreters there it was it was brilliant yeah it was first class and again and that's one thing our democracy needs to look at and again, we were one of the best in in the world in fairness our Taoiseach as well uh, did that with a lot of his conferences yeah, during COVID. Yeah. You, there was a huge campaign in the UK and huge campaign in the USA against the two leaders of those democracies that they refused to put interpreters on the screen with them. Huge campaign so far they even went into the into their respective higher Supreme Courts to force them to... And you saw the very first conference Joe Biden had in America, he had... Um, an interpreter was right there and then the very first one and I was reading in in this morning's paper another young lad younger now than your Callum um, Owen Freeman who's uh, six talking about you know when he does have access to an an interpreter the difference that it makes but the one thing in that in the the piece that they talk about the girl who has been working with him as an interpreter has done that degree course that you speak about from Trinity College Dublin but when she goes into a classroom setting she, and she gets paid at the same rate as, as an SNA, and I'm not taking from the great work of, no, of SNAs, no. but this girl has done a full degree at Trinity College. Yeah. And, and, and it's yet it's not, years yeah, it's not getting recognised in the pay. No, and and again, she's worked for years in the deaf community. So like, so she has two cards to play, her, her brilliant skill set she's picked up from Trinity College Dublin. And her brilliant skill set already is working as an interpreter within the deaf community. And yet she had to go in at step one of the SNA salary scale, which was very, very young, wrong. And that's what happened with us as well. The lady who was working with Callum for two years again, originally she came in without any maternity or holiday pay in her contract. They switched it over to an SNA contract. And again, she couldn't afford to continue paying for her mortgage, childcare, etc. Especially as she still had costs, as a lot of our young people do today, coming with her from their third level education 
So th- there's a number of things going on that need to be addressed. And these issues were highlighted in Department of Education research documents going back to 2007, 2008, by Professor Mark Marshark, who's a prof- who is a personal friend of mine now. And he was never introduced to families like the Freemans or us or the families that went through the High Court in the noughties um, who had deaf children, who had parents that had learned sign language. And so you have to look at it. This, this is an issue that's been around for a very, very long time, Patricia. And you, stop. in fairness, have highlighted it. Yeah, for but a it, long it time. has to stop. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why I, I did take comfort from listening to Anne Rabbit. Uh, but like, while her words were great to hear, we now need action. It, it, it can't yeah. be allowed to go on any longer. Well, we, we, I, she, in fairness to the Minister and Padraig O'Sullivan and James O'Connor TD and there was other members of the government there, they did bring us to Dublin, the Freemans, myself and some of the people working as interpreters in the classroom a few weeks ago. And uh, yes, they, they, they want the help. Definitely I see in their eyes and actions and their words now that they want and this National Disability Authority report needs to be published yesterday because mm. I believe there's even more detail coming out. But unfortunately for us, Patricia, we still have no option, no other option. If if, if change doesn't ca- happen yesterday, we have to continue on with our High Court battle and get into the High Court as soon as possible and have our, our day in court and take whatever but Andrew, that, and, that brings. Andrew, going to the High Court comes with huge financial cost to your family. It could potentially every day in the High Court can cost as much as €25,000. But listen, that for truth to come out, this is a battle for truth, justice and equality. This is the battle for my son's access to his education and I'll pay that price, whatever price that is. If that means me staying in the guards for an extra 10 years, I'll pay that price. There's no issue with that. That's, that's what our democracy is all about and there's brilliant people who have always thought you look at We've had brilliant leaders throughout our history. I looked to one lady and she is, you know, I, I I can only bend a bow to her, is Vicky Phelan. What she did for our democracy, she opened the door to truth, justice. She li- She's the great liberator of our time. She liberated the truth. And that's all I'm trying to do here in a very, very small, I'm a gray in sand on her beach. Um, that That's all we're trying to do here. There's been a, a long, long, line of deaf children who haven't have access to their education and if the battle has to be fought in the High Court, let it be fought in the High Court. If, But I will say I am absolutely in deepest gratitude to Padraig O'Sullivan TD, to Minister Anne Rabbit for 14 minutes of discussion about deaf education in the Dáil last week had never happened before and in fairness to, to those two people and the other TDs that were there when we were in Dublin a few weeks ago, our local uh, TD, James O'Connor, and I know Sean Sherlock and Dave Stanton are personal friends of mine, and I also have to thank Marion Harkin and Donna O'Leary for the questions they asked. Never when I was born did I think that my son would be discussed inside the Oireachtas for four weeks on the trot, and I have to give great thanks to legislators in this country. We may still have to go into the High Court and take that risk, but that's a risk we have to take. Yeah, I can't look yeah, at my son in the be, eye I know, as an adult. And it, well, it'll be shocking. It'll be absolutely shocking if, if you've got to go down that uh, route. Um, Andrew, is Callum aware of the fight you're undertaking? No, no. 
Mm. Helen does a brilliant job of insulating him from that. Helen, as I've said, is the hero of this piece and he is a happy-go-lucky child, loves his classroom, loves his teacher, his friends at school. And my dream is this, Patricia, strange as this may sound, I hope Callum never finds out that when he's an adult, he can look at our flag in the breeze and love our country as much as I do. And I hope one day our country loves him as much as I love my country and that he will feel that his country has always loved him as our people do. Well done, well done. You're, and you're fighting for all the future uh, deaf children that will be born into this country as well and who are all entitled to, absolutely entitled to uh, an education. You're, you're an incredible man, uh, Andrew. And once again, it's always a pleasure to have you on the programme. I know we will speak uh, again and uh, I can't wait for the day that we speak about the really good news story to say that Callum has finally got his interpreter in the classroom beside him. But in the meantime, look after yourself and you. uh, kind regards to Helen and the kids and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so Thanks very us. much, Patricia. Good bye. morning bye to you. Bye. Uh, bye bye. He's just, he's incredible. It's just what parents will do for their children, I suppose. That is Andrew Geary from Ballyhooley. 1850 333 103. Jump all. Text your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, with people's slowly but surely coming out of the pandemic many are ready to sing again and a new initiative has been launched to use singing to bring people together in communities across the country to discuss the One Town One Voice movement I'm joined by Graeme Clifford from from Moy. Good morning to you Graeme. Morning Patricia, and how are you? I'm very well and you are very welcome uh, to the programme. I actually was thinking of you last night when I was watching the second part of David Brophy's Frontline Choir. I'm assuming you watched it. You know something? I'm afraid to say I didn't, but oh. I will watch it. I will watch it back. <laughs> I will watch it back. Um, yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it's it's a fantastic program, and he's so fantastic at bringing people together. And in a way, there's this obvious similarities between, you know, in a way, what he's doing, and and I guess what we're doing. Well, when I first heard about it, and when I first it was been on for the last two Sundays, I straight away thought of your international choir and said, "This, that's what this is based on." He's just doing it on a, a grander scale, and that he's bringing people from all over the country. Um, so, talk to me about. I mean, what, what your planning is based on. You're hugely successful for my international choir. Just remind us, Graham, how that all came together. So a few years ago, uh, Patricia, um, I worked, my background was as a journalist and a broadcaster and so on, but uh, through the Sanctuary Runners, um, an initiative that brings asylum seekers, refugees and Irish people together, I started looking more, I suppose, Patricia, at initiatives that would bring people together in communities across Ireland, towns across Cork, which are very uh, diverse in terms of their um, you know, multicultural makeup these days. And um, trying to think, okay, what can we do to bring people together? Because you don't want to go down the road of other countries where you have parallel communities living within one community. It's no good for anybody. So one of the initiatives that uh, I came up with was this international choir in Cork, in Fermoy. Um, And we didn't know, you know, if people were going to take to this or not, or would they be interested, or would people get it, you know? Um, And within one or two weeks, uh, we had well over 100 people coming to rehearsals, um, over 25 different nationalities. And, yeah, with our choir uh, director, Lisa Dumphy, it was just this amazing, lovely, positive, all-inclusive community that was built. 
And we'd never win an award as the greatest choir in the world, but that wasn't our objective. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. And is it it a fantastic way for people to make friends and for people to meet who otherwise might never engage with each other? Totally. I mean, we had people who lived on the same street, Patricia, who would know each other to see, but had never stopped and had a conversation. And so, you know, you create this thing where people are focused elsewhere. They're not necessarily focused initially on the integration, because that can be overwhelming sometimes for people. And people doubt themselves that they'd be able to do it, you know. Would they make a fool of themselves kind of thing? But if you create something else, like uh, um, a singing group or a sporting group or something like that, you're you're kind of getting to know each other um, and integrating without even realising, you know. Through a shared interest. Is that integration, the, the word, is not about getting migrants to be exactly like us and do exactly like we do. That's assimilation. Integration is both uh, sides of the community, kind of walking a bridge halfway, if you think of it that way. And so the Singing Community Initiative is, is one that we hope will really achieve that in towns across Cork and the rest of the country. Is it challenging to work with people of many different nationalities? I mean, English wouldn't be their first language. Oh, no. I mean, for many, it's their second language, but they'd be, you know, pretty good at it. Uh, we're a secular choir, so uh, you know we, um, we 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 choose, I suppose, contemporary kind of you know songs and stuff like that, and that's what the one town one voice movement will do as well. So that way, you know, you're choosing. I suppose it's you have to be careful that you choose the right type of song, uh, and then uh, like our choir conductor here, who is the musical lead of one town one voice as well, Lisa Dumphy, she's really good at picking out. Like one of the songs we did last, uh, what, two years ago now, I remember, was like uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, September. You know that one? Brilliant song, yeah. Really, everybody's bouncing, everybody's yeah. buzzing. And it doesn't matter what your background and nationality is. There's a, a place within that song for everybody. Even if it's oohs and ahs, it's yeah. important. <laughs> and we, we, did, we did stuff as well, Patricia, uh, with the Fermoy Choir, which we'll do in our toolkit for these other towns, where... Irish people would end up singing a verse of a song maybe in Lithuanian or Portuguese or Polish or Russian or whatever. And similarly, the guys from overseas who are living here and part of the community would, you know, they were singing Trasna and the Downsa. So you oh, can break down all these lovely clever. barriers. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that is clever. So you have the choir in Formoy. The plan now is you want other towns to set up their own singing group. That's right. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a bit pedantic about it, but I'm... I'm the groups that we're setting up elsewhere won't be known as choirs. Okay. Only because I think sometimes choirs conjures up, you know, images of a very formal type of thing. What we're saying is that community singing groups uh, will have a toolkit. So if, if, if people in a particular town think there is a need for this and that there would be good interest in this, we will work with that town to build the singing group and to help them in terms of what songs they, they, they use and how they work with people for whom English isn't their first language. And more importantly as well, you know, help them to really understand what this represents and what it can lead to. Because what we found with the group in Formoy, Patricia, was all these amazing spin-offs that were so positive. Walking groups, social nights, you know, a little band formed of people who met through the choir. All these lovely things, you know, during covid the WhatsApp group that we had kept us going, you know. So there's loads of lovely things that could develop out of the singing group and out of the initiative. And have you managed to secure some funding for it? Yeah. So 
our, our funding comes from the Tomar Trust, which is the philanthropic trust in North Cork. And um, they're supporting us. So if a town decides that they want to do this, we'll help them with some funding starting off. And they're also really lucky. We have a national coordinator and a musical lead. So, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. We won't, because of COVID-19, we're still cautious in terms of bringing people together to sing. Um, so our plan is that between now and the new year, we'll gather our towns and then uh, from January, we'll start putting those singing groups together. Are you, are you back in from Oi singing yet? Is the group back? No, no. Uh, we were due back next Monday, um, but we'll wait. I always think it's, it's much more important to be cautious and sensible. There's, lo- there's lots of guidance uh, in terms of choirs. I know some choirs have come back, but, you know, for me, I just kind of think, let's, let's wait until it's, uh, it's definitely sensible to do so. Mm. Okay, so you're now uh, putting the feeler out to towns all over the country. Oh, yeah, but we, ideally, ideally, we'd love if the first towns were in North Cork. That'd be brilliant. Uh, or other parts of Cork, maybe South Pitt, uh, you know, kind of East Limerick uh, and West Waterford, that kind of area. Because we want to just, you know, get it right and then roll it out across the rest of the country. We've had contact from a few towns in North Cork already. Brilliant. Uh, which is fantastic. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all, all people have to do is drop us an email to info at onetownonevoice.ie and we'll get back to you and, and we can figure out if it's the right time for you to, to have such a group and help you along the way to make it happen. And tr- I should say, Patricia, as well, our aim is that in the summer of 2023, we'll bring all these groups to Fermoy, have a big, wonderful, positive, bright, energetic festival over a weekend and and really enjoy the, the, the kind of bigger one town one voice family that we hope will have developed by then. And of everybody singing together, that'll be an incredible sound. Totally. Oh, I've, I've, well. even come up with a, I've even come up with a jingle, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if I should sing it on air. Go on, go on, Graham. Sing away. At the, risk, at the risk now of ruining my credibility. Now you're going. So after these things, you know, something memorable is important. So you know the Bob Marley song, uh, One Love? Yes, I do. So I uh, this came into my head one, one night. One town, one voice, let's get together, celebrate, rejoice. Ah, it's brilliant. That's so, perfect. <laughs> that so is perfect. It's earworm for people now and it stays with them and they go on the website, one town, one voice, that I find out more. Okay, listen, we wish you luck. We will keep in contact with this, Graham. Let us know how you're getting on. And uh, as always, a pleasure to talk to you and stay safe in Fomoy. Thanks, Look after yourself. Take care. That is uh, Graham Clifford joining us from One Town, One Voice. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful initiative. And let's see if we can get many more singing groups, not choirs. And I think he's right. I think Graham is right to say to use singing group rather than a choir. I can warble a tune, but I certainly wouldn't be good. I feel I wouldn't be good enough to join a choir. But if it was a singing group, yeah, maybe I'd be okay for that. And there's something magical, isn't there, about getting into a group and everybody singing uh, together. I think it's the one thing lots of people missed with the pandemic was that, you know, sing song. Sing, there's nothing like a good sing song in a pub, for example. 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. It is Monday, so don't forget Annalise Drissel will be joining us in the final hour of the programme. So if you've got a nutritional question for Annalise, you can get it in to us. I've had a couple of similar texts to this one. I got a few on Friday and we're already getting a few this morning to say, hi Patricia, in the budget last Tuesday, they said that the extra five 
€1,000 for the fuel allowance increase was going to be paid from midnight. Well, I went to collect my pension on Friday and the extra €5 wasn't there. I'm wondering, is it the same for other people, please? Could you check it out? And we have uh, checked it out. And the Department of Social Protection have confirmed that the €5 increase for the fuel allowance does kick in from midnight on the 12th of October. However, the increase is not going to be paid out until the week commencing the 1st of November, but it will be backdated to the 12th of October. So it means for anyone who's entitled to the fuel allowance, when you go to collect your payment on the week of the 1st of November, there will be arrears of €15 paid with your weekly payment. And then after that, the extra €5 will be will be there as normal. So it'll take three weeks. Obviously, it's an admin. It's just an administrative thing that they have to do that they couldn't bring it in uh, immediately. But the good news is that the the increase does and did kick in from midnight on the 12th of October. But unfortunately, you have to wait until the 1st of November, but it will be backdated. And for people who get paid on the lump sum, the 12 weeks worth of arrears is €60. And that will be paid also on the week of the 1st of November. With a reminder that the fuel allowance is a means test of payment to help the cost of heating home during the winter months. So for anybody wondering why they didn't get the increase, uh, you will be getting it the week of the 1st of November. 1850-333-103. Let's take a break. We have to head to the newsroom for news at 12 midday. Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist, she'll be with us and we'll catch up with a lot of calls and comments and texts that have come into the programme. We'll do that after news at 12 midday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, Life and Health Insurance, CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your texts coming in. Here's a lovely text. Thank Patricia. On this miserable Monday morning, I had to go into from White Town to pay my car insurance. I went for a stroll up the main street and I wandered into Birmingham's. What a sight. Their Christmas winter wonderland is open. It is simply amazing, an amazing shop, well worth a visit. Isn't that lovely to hear? Yeah, Christmas. We didn't somebody earlier, one of my first texts this morning was somebody wanting to point out that imagine there's only 67 days to uh, Christmas. So it's you've a winter wonderland. It just sounds absolutely magical. And I, I'm a big fan of Christmas. I know not everyone, not everyone are big fans of Christmas and some people say oh, they come in too early and what are you doing with all the Christmas stuff in the shops or whatever but yeah it gives me goosebumps and always makes the hair stand up on the back of my arms if I go into some place like that that is just bedecked in a, in a Christmas winter wonderland so well done to everyone in Birmingham who have obviously put in great effort this year and it certainly has brightened up the spirits of one of our listeners on what she said a miserable Monday morning and just actually staying on Christmas somebody else has sent me in a picture of her Christmas poncettia Saint Patricia, I'm sending in this photograph. It's in its second year. I can't remember the name of it. It's called a Ponsettia. Uh, I just remember being called the Christmas plant. And I remember you and your gardener, Peter Dowdle, talking about it last year and saying, for most people, it never lasts more than a year. Well, just to let you know, I gave, I gave it a cup of tea once a week and water once a week. And here it is in October, uh, just all ready to come out just before Christmas. And I'm looking at it. It's got some baubles left on it, I think, from last year. But And it looks like parts of it are going red. If you manage to get that red for Christmas, then you're doing really well. Because as Peter points out every year on the Christmas Ponsettias, they're forced in order to be red, or the gorgeous white ones as well, and that they're forced and for... People who are some way green fingered. Some people are really, I had a really good friend of mine, sadly no longer with me, who was just a 
a dinger at keeping Christmas Ponsetti is alive. I don't know how she managed. She was very green fingered though anyway, but she always had magnificent uh, Christmas Ponsetti But like that, they don't go red the following Christmas. They'll go red at different times of the year, which is what they do in their nat- natural environment. But yours is certainly looking very, very healthy indeed. Never heard of giving a Christmas Ponsetti a cup of tea once a week, but it's obviously working for you. So don't move it. That's the other big thing with Christmas Ponsetti because they don't like drafts or any kind of breezes. So if you if you can grow it in somewhere where it's very happy, very comfortable, do not move it. Leave it exactly where it is. And it certainly is looking very healthy. And looking at it, it looks like it's inside in a window and it's been getting lots of uh, sunlight. So go you. And actually staying with Christmas plants, I noticed only last week that my Christmas cactus there's buds on my Christmas cactus so I'm expecting that to be flowering well before Christmas as well I'm a, I'm a big fan of those uh, Christmas plants now some other issues coming in by the way if I can see some questions coming in for Annalise Dressel our nutritional therapist if you have a question for Annalise get it into us please 1850 unfortunately at the last minute last week Annalise wasn't available to us so if you sent in a question last week it'll be gone through the system somewhere and it'll be impossible for me to find it particularly if it's a WhatsApp question. So if you want to send in any of those questions again, just resubmit it so that I have them in time for Annalise. Get them in. Or you can ring John Paul as well at 1850 Somebody else is remembering Brendan Kennelly that we started the programme uh, with on his sad death at the weekend. Mary said, just a comment on the death of Brendan Kennelly. He's actually on the Leaving Cert English Poetry Curriculum this year. So a whole new age group have been introduced to him and to his fantastic poems. My own 16-year-old absolutely loves his poetry and was actually very upset when she heard yesterday that he'd passed away. I've promised to get her a book of his poetry as a Christmas present so his fantastic words will live on. May he rest in peace. That's a gorgeous, gorgeous thought, uh, Mary. Yeah, and I, I think it was, was it 2019 he got introduced onto the Leaving Cert uh, curriculum and I thought, how fantastic to have a living poet on the Leaving Cert curriculum and such a fantastic poet as Brendan uh, Kennelly. So, and you're right, it introduces a whole young generation to it. But I think that's a lovely thing. And I wonder, will we see an increase in the sale of his books, the fact that he has passed away. Hopefully we will and hopefully there will be lots of people will come to the work of Brendan Kennelly, perhaps that had never been, never never looked at his work before. 1850 What else is coming in to uh, us? Uh, hi Patricia, this is, um, and we get texts like this every now and again and it's just hard to know where what advice to give somebody who's living next to people that are causing antisocial behaviour and kind of the neighbours from hell and we've all seen the kind of the TV programmes where you see what some people put up with generally speaking in other countries we don't really have that many neighbours from hell we like to think we don't have that many neighbours from hell in this country but unfortunately it does happen and for, for somebody living it must be dreadful to live in a house where you're feeling unsafe because of the people who are living close are right beside you. And that's what this listener finds themselves. I live in a council house in the North Cork area. Myself and my family are getting a very bad doing from our neighbours and their friends. And it's now been going on for over 11 years. 
the guards and the council won't help us and we simply don't know why. I can't say what these people have done and said to us over the years. We are not happy at all at the way the council, they don't seem to want to do anything to help us. Have the guards not got any power when it comes to antisocial behaviour? Have the council any power? I think they just don't seem to care. 11 years is a long time to be putting up with antisocial people who don't care about other people around them. It's just such a sad, sad text to get in. I'm slow to say that the guards and that the council don't do anything about it because I think they try and do the best that they can. I take it from the council's point of view, it's the housing crisis and it isn't. I mean, if if it's as bad as you're saying it is and it's going on for 11 years, I'm assuming you want to move, you want to go uh, somewhere else. And of course, that isn't easy because the houses are simply not available. But how do you get through to people who are causing this antisocial behaviour? Is that where the Gardaí have a role? Should they be prosecuted? You know, if you can prove what's been going on and you obviously can if it's been going on for 11 years, I'm assuming. Have you recorded, have you evidence of some of the antisocial behaviour. Again, I would say, you know, back on to the council. I keep saying to people, you know, if you don't get anywhere, just, you know, keep keep making the calls, keep writing the letters. Eventually somebody will get so sick of hearing from you that you hope, and it's shocking to think that that's the length you have to go to. But if it's if it's as bad as you're saying, I would just keep reporting it, keep logging all the, get evidence of it, keep logging all the incidents of antisocial behaviour or threats or whatever's been done to you. But my heart goes out to you because it, it, it certainly isn't an easy situation to find yourself in. And I'm sure there's probably some of our listeners have been there before, have, have been in that same situation. If anybody has advice, please, for our listener, we certainly would love to share it and pass it on uh, to, to this person. 1850 John Paul's taking the cause. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 And then I've had an email in that's very disappointing. This is to do with the South Dock service. And again, interested to hear from, has anybody else come up against this uh, a person doesn't want their name called out which is fine says hi Patricia just a note of disappointment in the South Dock service thank God I've only needed them once in the past five years on Saturday at 11, a little past midnight I rang South Dock on behalf of my elderly mother whose condition I felt had worsened overnight regarding a cough she is by the way immunocompromised high risk etc and I felt I was being responsible and conscious as a citizen to log a call at this certain time in this certain situation. So anyway, call is logged with the operator. Details are shared and so on. So the operator asks, finally, what's the issue? I state, my mother had her flu vaccine Monday last. Head cold started on Thursday night into Friday. No temperature, but I felt the cold had now gone onto her chest and therefore I was quite anxious. So I'm told the nurses are busy returning calls and that there would be a wait for the callback. Put down the phone and said fine. And I waited and I waited for a callback that I never got. Disappointed is an understatement, Patricia. Thankfully, my mother is well now, well, at least I think she is, but a callback would have been appreciated. Please, where is the respect for human life gone? Please don't call, on, call out my name. Suffices to say, a Canturk listener trying to do what I thought was right. Yeah, and that's what we're encouraged to do, particularly in COVID times with somebody who is immunocompromised. Disappointed to hear that. And I mean, 
the operators that take the calls, they just take the details and then it gets passed on. Now, I'm assuming there is probably, a, if a lot of calls come in at the same time, there is probably the more serious ones, you know, ones say that sound like heart attack or sound like stroke or whatever, are the more serious ones are dealt with first and it goes down a pecking order. But I would have thought at some stage, even if it had been in the wee hours of the morning, that they would have called you back. But maybe because of the time of night you rang and the fact that you didn't call them back, maybe when it got to the middle of the night, three, four in the morning, when they were able to return the call, maybe they thought, oh, the emergency is gone. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find some kind of a defence why they wouldn't have called you back. I, th- I would have thought that once you log a call, that you have to at least get a call back to be triaged and then for the nurse who triages you over the phone because that's the way the South Dock service works to triage you that then the nurse makes the decision no we don't need to step this up for you to see a doctor or for your mother to see a doctor and this is what I think you need to do so yeah I can understand why you why you are disappointed I don't know if that's a common occurrence or not uh, with South Dock if anybody can tell us 1850 uh, 333103 and some of your other texts coming in to uh, us let me just see here's one that I got earlier that I didn't get around to and this is to do with what's going on across the water and that awful case of that MP that was stabbed to death in his constituency office, uh, Sir David uh, Amos, who though I didn't know this man from Adam, I, I have to say, but certainly anything I saw about him at the weekend or heard about him at the weekend, he just came across as such a lovely, lovely MP, just a really nice, kind caring man and nobody nobody deserved to die the way that man uh, died but it, in particular he, he just there, there seemed to be huge amount of sadness by his constituents who were absolutely bereft because he was held in such high esteem and not every in our case it's TDs but MPs it's the same in England so they're not always held in the highest of esteem and you always have people who don't like them and, and that's the nature of the job isn't it but this, he didn't seem to have any enemies and un- unfortunately he was stabbed to death while doing what he most loved to do which was working with his constituents and Michael wants to talk about that today by text saying, Patricia, I thought some prayers are with the family of Sir David uh, a- Amos on their extremely terribly sad loss. May his gentle soul rest in peace. Today parliaments are becoming a more unpleasant place to work in. Responsible language is no longer being used there. Language is very important. And the language that has been used in many of our parliaments is full of toxicity. Sir David was one of the truest gentlemen ever to enter the House of Parliament in Westminster. No grandiose ideas, just plain, simple, who worked tirelessly for his constituents. I try and keep a close eye on the happenings in the House of Commons, the debates, Brexit, etc. And many of the time, their own British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, uses language that I feel is unbecoming for a parliamentarian, not not alone a Prime Minister. Members of Parliament all over the world are getting death threats because of the language they are using. And this, this growing atmosphere of toxic, it's becoming toxic and it's becoming abusive. When the Prime Minister was pulled recently about his use of language, which he just straight away dismissed and got away with, he just said, ah, humbug. It's time for leaders at home and abroad to tone down the language. They, they have to change this within the doll for their own safety. The language they l- use is critical 
to their own safety. The roaring and the shouting at one another just simply has to stop. You could in a way call it political abuse. Thanking you. And that's from Michael who makes a good point. Yeah, and sometimes the roaring and shouting, it's the same when sometimes when you hear on political shows and political journalists and this constant at each other and this aggressive line of questioning just it does absolutely nothing for me if anything as I'm getting older it is irking me more that when I see this aggressive line of questioning and it's always trying to get you know argument and debate and like a a toxic viewpoint at at times I think you're right uh, Michael but you know and I'm 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 sure when that story broke on, was it Friday it happened? I'm sure they must have sent shockwaves through all of our own parliamentarians. They must have thought, my God, if that can happen, it's, you know, very close on our own doorstep. Somebody doing his job to the best of his ability. And for that to happen is uh, truly shocking. And remember the young Joe Cox, the other young MP who was killed that was in the lead up to Brexit wasn't it she was against Brexit at the time and she was killed for her her views which is you know people mightn't like politicians people mightn't always agree with politicians but at the end of the day they go in there trying to do their best they go in there believing that they can make a difference they mightn't always manage to do it but they go in there with the best of intentions and certainly none of them deserve to die for it for sure 1850 John Paul taking your calls we are looking for your questions for Annalise our nutrition therapist please 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. And can we wish the best of luck to everybody taking part in the Balancholic Drama Festival. It is running from tonight through until next Friday in Balancholic Community Hall and it's so fantastic to see drama festivals back up and running. Rathmore and District Credit Union are hosting a coffee cart on International Credit Union Day, which is this Thursday, 21st of October. It'll be from 10.30am to 3pm in the main office in Rathmore. Proceeds from the coffee cart will go to the Air Ambulance Service in Rathcool. And the Terence McSweeney weekend commemorating the former Cork Lord Mayor and his fellow hunger strikers will be held in the Independence Museum in Kilmurray from this Friday through to next Sunday. Full details on their website, kilmurraymuseum.ie or you can call 021 And the Mallow Women's Shed better known as Loose Women. They're planning to reopen after the relaxation of restrictions on the 22nd of October. They meet on Thursday mornings from 10am to 12 noon in Mallow Mercy Centre. Invite you to go along any Thursday morning for a cuppa and a chat and take whatever craft you're interested in. You can bring along your knitting, your crochet, your embroidery. More information, you can contact the Loose Women at 087 687 Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just some of your thoughts in when I mentioned the text in from the listener who's having problems with antisocial neighbours uh, and it's been going on for 11 years. Somebody doesn't want me uh, to call out their name because they still have family living locally. Uh, says, yes, uh, Patricia, there are plenty of neighbours from 
from hell around. In my case, I lived beside them from the 1980s. I requested help from the County Council, the Gardaí, a solicitor. And in the end, in 2006, their property came up for sale. I remember 2006 was the peak of the boom. We purchased it at way above the real value, but it was cheap at at twice the price. Peace, peace, peace. Isn't that incredible? Uh, in order to try to end antisocial behaviour, the only way to do it was to actually purchase uh, the property. That is tough going. And then on the listener who tried to contact South Dock for her mum, elderly mum, feeling unwell and they never got a call back. Tom says, one is better off being an animal now as a vet will call out quicker to see a sick animal unlike a doctor to sick people. It is so hard to get. I don't, well, doctors don't make house calls anymore, uh, do they? I mean, even to go in and see a doctor now. Are those restrictions lifted or is it still is a lot of it done over the phone I don't know but I know we do hear from people bemoaning the fact that they can't actually get in to see their doctor I don't know if those restrictions are still in place or not and then just a couple of final texts in about where are we going with the lifting of uh, restrictions Patricia it's my firm belief that the hospitality sector will open this Friday dancing and nightclubs yes but they will be slightly curtailed for example COVID certificates will remain in in place. The wearing of masks will remain and will be there. And if you don't have them, then there'll be no entry and rightly so. Cork, as you've already discussed on the programme this morning, have lost 37 bars that will never now reopen. Dublin have lost 33, Donegal 33, Kerry 22. If they're not allowed to open with the further lifting of restrictions, many more of them will go to the wall. And that's exactly, that's the exact point that Michael O'Donovan, on behalf of the Vintners Federation, he himself has said his city pub, he says they just can't afford to keep going if they're only allowed a third capacity. All of the bills are coming in. They still have the same heating bills, the same lighting bills, the same insurance uh, bills and they're just not making enough money. It's just not going to be commercially viable to stay open, which is going to force a lot more uh, closures for sure. Another texter says, I think it will be wrong to lift everything next Friday. Why? It'll be giving in to those people that decided not to get the vaccine in the first place. And for all of the people who got it, what is the point? So if you're going to lift any restrictions, leave the COVID certificates in place so that it'll only allow people who have or are fully vaccinated will be able to get in anywhere. Hi Patricia, what I can't understand is I stayed in a hotel in Killarney at the weekend. We weren't asked once for our COVID certificate but then we decided to wander uptown for a drink and we were asked for our COVID certs. What's the difference between a hotel and a gastropub with certs? Yeah it was kind of the bit of the anomaly that when they lifted the hospitality some of the restrictions back in July which allowed for the bars to reopen and all of that and for indoor indoor dining and indoor drinking and, and all of that. They insisted that you had to have a COVID search unless you were a, a guest in a hotel I, I literally couldn't understand it either because it was at the start of my holiday and I remember having all of my COVID certificates we had it all with us all ready to go and we, I stayed in two different hotels and when I questioned it they said oh no for hotels aren't covered on that so when I checked they, they were absolutely right they were going as per the guidelines from Ward Falter as from Neffet down from the government and it still remains in place now if you go into a hotel and you want to go into the bar you're not a guest or if you want to go into the dining room then you have to show your COVID search like I was in one particular hotel that I remember and we were sitting in the dining room and we were having a meal and a few drinks and I saw people walk-ins you know people not staying in the hotel 
they had to produce their COVID certificate. So yeah, I, I don't know what it's, rather than what's the difference between a hotel and a gastropub, it's what's the difference between a, somebody staying in the hotel and somebody not staying in the hotel. But that's still, that and that has remained in place. That hasn't um, uh, checked. Hi, uh, Patricia. I am living in West Cork. I feel it's common sense at the end of the day when people are saying that they're going in somewhere and that they're not seeing people you know, asked for COVID certs or the places are too busy. It's all down to common sense. If you are feeling uncomfortable and you go somewhere where there's a big crowd and you feel it's not safe, then simply don't go in there. 1850 I'm going to take a break and we are back having all of your nutritional questions answered by Annalise Drissel. Text or WhatsApp 0862. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. 103, 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic where Annalise Drissel uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Straight in with the questions. The listener says, hi, could Annalise help, please? I'm feeling miserable. I'm feeling down and I'm feeling stressed. What would Annalise recommend? I did try the source of life, but that didn't give me the lift that I was looking for. Generally feeling very miserable and down. Okay, so I suppose a couple of very basic things, Patricia, to tick off that list there first is to make sure that you're not maybe low in iron or B12 because they're really, really important for your making your blood cells and if your blood cells can't carry oxygen around to your body and brain, you will feel tired, you will feel low, you will feel down. And they're the very basics, but feeling low is very normal as well if you're of a menopausal age or if you've gone through a long, long period of stress. And there are lots of things naturally that can help with those. So if there's a lot of stress in your life, there is a lovely herb called ashwagandha. And it's become quite popular in the last year. I've seen a huge amount of people come into the shop looking for it, so they've been reading about it. And ashwagandha is a herb that can help improve your stress coping 
mechanisms, I suppose, by supporting the axis, the, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis that's responsible for you helping to manage stress and be able to kind of drive on and keep yourself motivated and focused. So it works at a kind of a core level to strengthen that. So it's really good for kind of stress-related low mood and stress-related anxiety. And we do have a lovely one here that we really like called Stress Vida, S-T-R-E-S-S-V-E-D-A. And it has got a few other little bits and pieces in there that are really nice with like B vitamins and a few other things too. So that's one way to sort of try and help improve your mood. Other things that can help are things like L-theanine. This is a uh, basic amino acid that they isolate mostly in, in supplements from green tea. It's very natural, so it's, you can take it with if you're on antidepressants or anything. It's safe. And it's really good for a very quick fix if you're feeling a little bit low or a little bit stressed. It kicks in in about 10 to 15 minutes. And it's really good for kind of the, the happy, calm focus hormone. So it's great if you're trying to study as well or if you're anxious about study or if you're anxious about a test coming up. And the last thing I'd recommend then maybe is something like cannabis oil. Now, what I love about the cannabis oil and we're uh, big fans of it in my extended family is that it works very quickly to sort of get rid of that horrible feeling in your stomach sometimes that you might get if you become a little bit overwhelmed or stressed. So um, just make sure that you get it from a reputable shop like a good health store. All of ours are very tightly monitored and checked by the HSC so that they are safe for consumption. And if you could just put a drop under your tongue and within 10 to 15 minutes, it can help you feel a lot better. Okay. And, and it's quite, it is very common. It's, uh, I don't know the age of the person, but it, it could be, it could be to do with the menopause as well. It could be all tied in with that. Menopause, Patricia, you know, there are lots of natural ways and plant-based hormones that can help you with menopause. If it is coming, if it's period-related, vitamin B6 is a wonderful one. You need about a a 50 milligram dose of it every day. But that's really good if you start getting very low in your mood coming up to your period or mid-cycle. Menopause-wise then, you could try the plant-based hormones. Health shops will have a wide range of them. We love here the BioNutri um, Lignin Plus is a great one. Or the NHP Menopause Support, is Herbal, sorry it's called, is another good one as well. But if they don't work for you, just get the HRT. Mm. The studies have shown like that really they're not as dangerous as they thought when they stopped giving it to everybody. And it's so fantastic for bones, for mood, um, for, you know, for skin, for everything really that I think we should all take it if we can. Yeah, and I think doctors are getting better at prescribing it. There was that time where they were, every, they were all against it. But, I, you know, they, they seem to be getting better. I'm not sure about that. Patricia. Oh, are you not? Okay. I actually... Depends I on the doctor. It depends hugely on the doctor. I joke with my customers that we'll all be around the back of buildings saying any HRT, any <laughs> HRT. Because I have customers coming in and they're on antidepressants, they're on cholesterol medication, which actually makes you worse because cholesterol, cholesterol is an essential building block for your sex hormones, progesterone and estrogen and testosterone. So if you're putting your cholesterol down very, very low, when your body is trying to readjust, it makes more thinking that that's what it needs to make more hormones. So it's normal to your cholesterol to elevate when you're starting to become menopausal and taking a cholesterol tablet can often be the worst thing to do mm. so really just push push with the doctor ask them to try it for a couple of months if it doesn't work for you then it's not yeah. the answer but well, at least give it, it a try tried. give it a try uh, Mary says hi question for Annalise please I am on metrotrexate folic acid and calcitu for the past nine years for rheumatoid arthritis I don't like the calcitu so could Annalise recommend some natural remedy instead 
Yeah, and a lot of people have a problem with that, Patricia, because it's very chalky. It's calcium carbonate, so for some people, they find it makes them nauseous. It's hard for them to break down. So a natural calcium would be a better solution. You can actually get some kind of calciums um, that do come from algae-based sources and uh, and seaweeds in, in the health shop. Now, the algae-based source is the one that I've had a huge interest in recently because I've been reading a lot of research on it and it seems to be really, really good for helping with osteopenia, osteoporosis. And it's called Algecal. It's spelled A-L-G-A-E-C-A-L and it's been patented, unfortunately, by the company who have discovered it. So it can be expensive, but you will get it in um, the Nature's Plus Bone Support. It's in that. Um, Nutri Advanced have got one. Um, but if you go into your health shop and you ask them for the Algecal, that is the best type of calcium. Now, it's pricey, and if that if you can't afford that, a sea-based calcium will off, often work from seaweed. That can be very gentle. And then finally, calcium citrate is another much more gentle one. So there, there's plenty of them in the um, health shops. That's where you'll go. And it's good to take it, if you can, with a vitamin D3 and a vitamin K2 because they help you absorb the calcium and they help you get the calcium onto your bone. Okay, listener has getting reoccurring kidney infections. Can would you what would you recommend a probiotic or what treatment would you recommend? Yeah, so this is the standard treatment I I usually start people on if they're if they're suffering a lot of kidney infections. So there are two really basics to this one, and one of them is a is a probiotic that has some cranberry extract in there. And there's a number of different ones on the market. You could either go for the Bio Cult Cranbiotics. Is it, sorry, Cranbiotics is the Quest one and the, uh, there's the BioCult do a cranberry one as well. So either of those will, put the, will flush the good bacteria through the kidneys and the whole urinary tract, keeping, it, you know, keeping the good bacteria in there healthy and they can help crowd out the bad guys. The second absolute essential is something called Demanose and it's spelled with a capital D and then a capital M-A-N-N-O-S-E. And it's a type of sugar that prevents the bacteria, the disease-causing bacteria, from being able to form that little spike that they need to kind of hook into the cells. So it effectively makes them slide off and they just get flushed out very, very efficiently. So if you're struggling, I would take one of the cranbiotics and one of the demanos three times a day. And then once you've kind of been clear for at least a week or two, you can go down to the maintenance dose, which is once a day of both. Um, and then if you're really finding it hard to shift, Dr. Delish Clare does a wonderful herbal blend called um, Cystone, C-Y-S-T-O-N-E. And that's full of lovely herbs that nourish the cells of the urinary tract and help kind of restore a good balance. So that would be for, for somebody with very severe urinary and recurring tract infections. And there's nothing worse than kidney infections and urinary tract infections. They're horrible things. OK, hi. Uh, a question for Annalise, please. Could you recommend something natural to help with depression and irritability? I've been on medication for about 10 years. They help in the beginning, then it fizzles out, then there's a change of meds along the way, but sometimes the side effects can actually be worse. I'd appreciate if you could recommend something natural, thanking you in advance. Yeah, there are a few natural ones that can help, Patricia. And unfortunately, that is what happens with antidepressants because your body gets, it, it, it becomes tolerant to the dose. So you have to keep upping the dose to, to get the new effects. Um, there are two very good natural remedies, uh, but unfortunately, they are only available on prescription with your doctor. So the first one I'd recommend is something called St. John's Wort. It's a lovely herb. It would be very, actually, we all know John's wort from our gardens, but we would not know St. John's wort. It's a bush that we'd commonly have growing in our garden, and it's a beautiful yellow flower. 
Um, so you can grow it in your garden and you can make tea of it. But the only thing with that is that, of course, you never know what kind of dose that you're getting. So if you were to ask your doctor for a prescription of that, that can help supplement your natural antidepressant and at least your doctor will be able to work with you to find the right balance. The other thing that can help very well is something called ginkgo biloba. Now, this is a great uh, brain one, Patricia. Again, often only available on prescription, but um, it's brilliant for kind of memory, anything to do with brain and memory. So if you're struggling with memory loss, it's great. Um, to take as well as taking for depression. The one caveat there is that it does thin the blood, so it's not safe to take with the blood thinner. And then um, I suppose the B vitamins are always really important for nervous system function and health. And of course, the omega-3 fats are one of my favorites because I think they just play so many different roles within the brain and the body in general. And it's the one thing that most of us are not good at getting from our diets. So a combination of those should help. And definitely talk to your doctor about the St. John's wort and ginkgo Okay, and two questions coming back to back and they're kind of similar. Uh, One says, hi, Annalise, I'm 63. I'm not sleeping properly, sweating a lot at night. Now, about 10 years ago, I had those same night sweats and then they were gone. I thought that was it. Why would they suddenly come back again? Is there any test I can get from the doctor to check my level of hormones? And then another listener says, I'm 57, post-menopausal with two years now and still getting night sweats and daytime sweats from time to time. Could Annalise recommend anything, please? It's not uncommon, Patricia. Actually, I, I have a customer who came to me and she's in her 70s and still gets the odd um flush of sweats. So in a way, I think you nearly welcome it because, you know, the estrogen for us women is the, the, the hormone that keeps us youthful. So it's almost nice to know that you're still getting a blast of it as we get older. I think the best thing for hot flushes is the sage tea. And, you know, there's lots of other health properties to sage tea. So taking a cup of tea every day of sage tea, whether you've got the flushes or not, can help with hormone balance. But also it's a great one in the winter. Sage is a a lovely herb in the winter time for the immune system and other things. You can also take sage in tincture form or in tablet form. So if they really are bothering you, um, a stronger dose would be a better way to start. Um, and that that would be someone I would recommend that that's always the first go-to for people with the night sweats and the hot flushes is sage. And of course, then if they come along with other menopausal symptoms like low mood or low libido or anxiety or um, you know, dry skin and all of the other things that come along with menopause, taking plant-based hormones can help. Um, again, they are, you know, isolated from plants. They've got me- very mild estrogenic effects, so they're generally safe for most people unless there's a strong history of um, family breast cancer or cervical cancer. Okay, Margaret, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Eileen in Clan. what's the best cure for dry mouth? Been to the doctor, nothing seems to be working. Any remedies, please? Okay, there could be a couple of different things, Patricia, for dry mouth. There is a syndrome called Sorgren's syndrome, which is an autoimmune condition, and it does affect the cells that kind of produce mucus and um, you get a lot of dry tissue. So you would have dry mouth, but you also might have dry eyes um, and dry nasal passages. It's, um, one of the great things for dry mouth is something that's called oil pulling. And what you're doing really is you're just putting an oil into your mouth. Now, something like coconut oil is the nicest one because it has a high level of a caprylic acid which is really good to kind of kill off any fungus or bacteria that are in the mouth and between the teeth and it encourages the growth of the healthy bacteria to keep our mouths healthy. What you would do is you'd put a a, a tablespoon of oil into your mouth and you swish it around between your teeth for about 10 minutes and if you did that once a day while you were sitting down in the evening maybe watching a bit of TV 
that can be really good for dry mouth. The other thing to do would be make sure you're well hydrated, obviously, and switch your toothpaste maybe to a gentler toothpaste without any chemicals in there in case the chemicals are irritating your mouth. And the last thing I'd say then is that there, if there is a coating on the mouth, you might be looking at something maybe like a little bit of oral thrush. So doing a mouth rinse with grapefruit seed extract is another lovely way of keeping the mouth healthy without any negative side effects. Margaret is recovering from COVID. Her sense of taste and smell hasn't returned. Everything else is fine. Any remedies? Yeah, so one of the big things for for the immune system, Patricia, is zinc. We need zinc um, for a very healthy immune response. And actually, one of the sort of the soft tests for zinc deficiency is um, getting people to try and taste something because zinc is really important for our sense and smell and taste. So I think the first thing to do there, if you've had COVID, it's possible that you've, you know, you've had a higher requirement for zinc. Um, So it's definitely the first place to start. You can take a supplement. I think 15 milligrams of zinc a day is enough, Patricia. Um, And it does come back in time. It can be just a bit of a waiting game. Um, There isn't really anything else that I think would help with that. But if you're struggling with other areas of COVID, like the long COVID fatigue, etc., there are things that can help with that. I love the olive leaf extract as a natural antiviral. Something called N-acetylcysteine, NAC, is wonderful as well for helping the body to heal. Um, and the Revive Active, actually, I've found a lot of people are getting good benefit from with the fatigue after COVID. So uh, go into your local health shop because there will be different combinations that will work depending on your own symptoms. But for just a lot of sense and smell, try a zinc supplement, 15 yeah, milligrams. And it just, it just takes time. I think I've just seen the, um, Margaret's 14 days ago since she was diagnosed. It's just early days yet. Hopefully it will, because it will, I've heard it come back for others. So hopefully uh, it will. It does, Patricia, but be patient because it actually can take three to four months as, in general for most people will find that it's only coming back slowly over that period of time. Okay, we've uh, about two minutes left. Uh, ringworm, Eileen says, uh, could Annalise talk about ringworm, please, and advice, obviously diagnosed with ringworm. Yeah, so you can take the pharmaceutical um, ringworm products, actually, which really I would kind of nearly recommend as the best way to go because it does work the quickest. There are lovely natural herbs that will help with um, ringworm, but they take for more time. Now, the nice thing about them is that they will kind of get rid of any other sort of worms that might be in the body as well. Dr. Delish Clare does a tincture called Paracan, P-A-R-A-C-A-N, and that's got those herbs in there for the natural remedies for her, for deworming. But other things that would be really good, there is a, a supplement called Dida, D-I-D-A, that has, it's mostly used as a, tra- a treatment for candida as a fungus, but actually it would also work as a good dewormer. It's got things in there like clove extract, garlic extract, um, thyme, oregano, all of those really, really strong herbs work very well. You could rub, if, if it's on the skin, you could rub um, a little bit of oregano oil in there, but I would suggest being very gentle with that and mixing it in with a bit of carrier oil, like a bit, even a bit of butter. Patricia would do or a bit of olive oil just so that you don't irritate the skin further um, and that can help heal up the skin part of it. Okay, listen, have a lovely week and uh, we won't chat you next Monday because it's the bank holiday. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks for that, Annalise. Uh, Bye-bye. That is Annalise Drissel of the healthhubstore.com and all of the information she gave she'll put up online this afternoon. That's where I leave you for uh, today. It also goes up in a podcast, by the way, on C103 as well. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 or to the night Patricia Messenger very 
good afternoon. Stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.